This morning's scripture reading will be from Acts 4, verse 13. Acts 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were under uneducated and untrained men, they marveled that they realized that they have been with Jesus. Good morning and welcome again. We are grateful for your presence. It may be that we have visitors with us. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have today to be together as God's people, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Brother Thomas mentioned a moment ago that we have a lot of our members who are away. It is spring break, and I know that I have had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people in the well, over the past few days, and a lot of people shared with me that they were going to be out of town, and it looks like it. And so we hope and pray that they will have a safe return. One of the things that I would mention is we have a lot of construction that's taking place right now, and if you're here through the week, it's a busy place. A lot of things are going on, a lot of construction, a lot of renovation taking place, and the purpose behind that is to make room for more people. We have been filled to capacity, nearly filled to capacity on several occasions. And I know it doesn't look like that today, but we have been running out of space. And so what we're doing, we're trying to make space for more people. And of course, when we talk about more people, we're talking about more souls. And every person has a human soul and we want to remember that. And our goal is to share the gospel, to reach out to a lost and dying community and to bring them to Christ. And so we want to do everything within our power to fill this, fill this building to its capacity and hopefully bring people to Christ so that they might live to his honor and glory. We're going to be looking today at Acts chapters 3 and 4, and we're going to be talking about one of the keys to why the early church grew. When you begin looking at the book of Acts, one of the things that is utterly amazing is how fast the church grew. Over and over again, you read in the book of Acts of how disciples were being added to the body of Christ. In chapter 2, at verse 41, the Bible says that on Pentecost Day, the church began with some 3,000 people obeying the gospel. In chapter four, the Bible talks about how some 5,000 people, some 5,000 men became members of the body of Christ. That is, the church came to be about 5,000 people, excluding women and children. In chapter five, at verse 14, the Bible says that the disciples were increasingly added to the Lord. In chapter 6, at verse 7, again, the Bible talks about how the church was growing and multiplying. I say all of that to simply point out that the church was a growing entity. And today I want us to think for a moment or two about why the church grew so rapidly in the first century. And we're going to be talking about that in just a moment or two. I do want to make this observation before we get started. Not long ago, we had several baptisms on one Wednesday night. And Brother Billy shared with me that this congregation reminded him of Getwell many years ago. 
when it seemed like people were constantly being baptized into Christ. And I said at the onset of being before you today that we are in the process of making room for more people in this assembly. And most people say that when you reach 75% of capacity, you will plateau unless there's more room. And so I applaud the elders for having the vision and the wisdom to make more room for people. And when you talk about the growth of the church and you talk about the good things that are going on here, sometimes we make the observation that bad news travels, travels fast. Well, good news travels fast too. And I think that the word on the street is a lot of good things are going on here at Isla Branch and there are people that are coming here because they hear about these good things. And so what we want to do is pray and we want to continue to encourage others to come and to be a part of what we have going on here at Isla Branch. Now having said all of that, I want us to look at Acts chapters 3 and 4 and I want you to consider with me today why the early church grew so rapidly. And I want us to look at one of the keys why I believe the church did in fact grow. When you look at Acts chapters 3 and 4, the first thing that you have to, I think, take into account is the fact that the disciples were influenced by Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you'll find out that he spent some three and a half years engaged in an earthly ministry. And over the course of that time, Jesus had the opportunity to mold men in his own image. He took 12 souls and literally began molding and shaping them into what he called fishers of men. They became productive servants of his. Now, in chapters 3 and 4, we have an account of Peter and John, and they are literally called on the carpet for having healed a lame man. And so I want us to look at the background of this, and as we look at the background, we go back to chapter 3, because first of all, we think about the miracle. The Bible tells us that there was a man, and he was over the age of 40, according to Luke's account, and this man had been crippled or lame since birth. And one of the things that he did, he begged for a living. He asked people for alms, as Luke records for us. And he was typically laid at the gate of the temple. Well, on this, on this occasion, Peter and John, they are at the temple, and they come in contact with this man. And what's he doing? He's asking for help. He's looking for a handout. And listen to what, listen if you would, to what Peter and John say. They say, look at us. And then Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now the Bible tells us that immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. And thus, he stood and began walking. And the Bible says he praised God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then in verse 10, the text tells us that the people were filled with wonder 
and amazement, no doubt. Having seen this crippled man now walking, that spawned a lot of interest. And so what Peter does is use this opportunity to literally preach the gospel to these people. And we talk about the second gospel sermon. Well, we have a record of that in chapter three. And so we look at his message. And when you look at Peter's message, he has a captive audience. And so Peter begins to rehearse God's plan to redeem the human family through Jesus Christ. He points out that it is through Christ that this man has been healed. Look, for example, if you would, at verse 14. He says to those assembled on this occasion, he said, you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That is Barabbas. And he said, you've killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now down in verse 19, he encourages them to repent, to be converted, so that their sins might be blotted out. In other words, they were to obey the gospel so that they might enjoy forgiveness of sins. That is, they were to believe in Christ, repent of their sins, confess his name, and be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Drop down now and look at verse 26. In verse 26, Peter says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And so God's design was to send the Christ so that both Jews and Gentiles might ultimately have the promise of salvation. Now in chapter 4, we have a meeting that takes place. And Peter and John are literally called on the carpet. They are to appear before the Sanhedrin. And the Bible tells us that the religious leaders of that day, they were greatly disturbed, verse two, because Peter and John taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, numbered among this council of people, Sadducees. The Sadducees, you recall, did not believe in the resurrection. And so this automatically puts them at odds with these religious people in that day. Now, verse three, the Bible tells us that they were arrested. They laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And then verse four, many of those who heard the word believed, the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so, again, the church growing, as I mentioned a moment ago. Well, in verses five and following, you have an account of these religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, questioning Peter and John about the healing of this man. And ultimately they conclude that, look, we can't deny the fact that this man has been healed. There's no questioning that. Now, having said that, look at verse seven. They ask the question, by what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. It's interesting that Peter indicts them 
for having put to death Jesus, the Son of God. In verse 12 he said, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now look at verse 13. Note if you would their acknowledgement about the disciples. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized, some translations say, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Now I want you to just step back and think about this for a minute. Peter and John had spent some three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about everything that they had heard. All of the great lessons, all of the great truths that they had been privileged to hear from the mouth of Jesus. The Bible talks about some of the great things that Jesus said during his earthly ministry. In John chapter 6, we have a record of Jesus declaring himself to be the bread of life. And the Bible tells us in that context that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And so Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. You see, these men had the opportunity to hear the words of life eternal. In John chapter 7, verse 46, it was said of Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. You just think about that. Here were people, here were men, here were disciples that had the opportunity to hear firsthand the words of Jesus. That would have been something. Here were men that had the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him over and over and over again talk about the will of Almighty God. And then couple with that what they had seen. Have you ever just paused to think about all of the great things that these men had seen firsthand? All of the great miracles that Jesus had performed? John tells us in John chapter 20, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here were men. They had seen Jesus deal one-on-one -on -one with people whose bodies were racked with pain and suffering. They had seen him heal people that were blind. They had seen him heal those who had a malady known as leprosy. They had seen him cast out demons. They had the opportunity to see Jesus walk on the sea, to steal the winds, the waves, the sea, if you please. They had the opportunity to see Jesus raise the dead. Now you want to talk about getting your attention. Imagine standing at the tomb of Lazarus and hearing Jesus say, loose him and let him go. Let me tell you what, that would have gotten my attention. And so here were people, they had been with Jesus. Now they had not been in any kind of formal school. 
They didn't go to a preacher training school per se, like what we typically talk about today, but they were in a training school nonetheless. They were trained by the master. They were trained by Jesus. So we talk about the influence that Jesus had on the disciples. Now I want you to think with me in the second place of how they became, that is the disciples became, an influence for Jesus. Now bear in mind these men had been molded. They had been shaped in his image and likeness. Now granted they were works in progress. We look at the life of Peter. Peter a lot of times said and did things that were out of harmony with the will of God. There were times when Peter would say things that, that did not coincide with the will of God and so Jesus would have to correct him or rebuke him. But now we have the birth of the church. The church is up and going. Peter preaches the second gospel sermon and now these men are being used by the Lord in a great way. To do what? To further his cause. To advance his kingdom. You remember what Jesus said? I'm gonna make you fishers of men. They had been with him for three and a half years. They had been shaped and molded by him and now they're ready to, to do the work for which they've been created. So having said all of that, I want you to now note with me the command that is given to these men. Now look at verse 14. They've, they realize these men have been with Jesus. And so seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. In other words, they couldn't dispute the fact that this man had been lame and now he's been made well. And so in verse 15, when they commanded them to go outside or to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? You can just see them wringing their hands. For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Now look at verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So here is this religious body of people, the Sanhedrin, this powerful body, and they've called Peter and John on the carpet and they're saying to them, look, do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But look at verse 19. I want you to look with me, if you would now, at their courage. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Now look at verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What are they saying? They're saying to these, these religious leaders, look, we cannot but speak what we've seen and heard. Why? Because we've been with Jesus. We have spent some three and a half years of our life with this man, the Son of God. And if you think that you can command us not to say anything at all about Jesus of Nazareth, let me tell you what, you've got another thing coming. You need to understand we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Now that's conviction. That is rock solid conviction. Now we ask the question sometimes. Why did the early church grow? 
And there, there are no doubt a number of reasons. One reason in particular, they were sowing the seed of the kingdom. Over and over again, what were they doing? They were planting the word of God. But I want to share with you one of the keys why I believe the church grew so rapidly. It's tied to the sowing of the word. The reason the church grew so rapidly in the first century is because as the council said about Peter and John, they had been with Jesus. Now I want to ask this question today. Have you been with Jesus enough through his word to have developed rock-solid conviction? Do you really have some conviction in your heart? In other words, have you spent enough time with the Lord in his word to know Jesus of Nazareth? The only way that you can really get to know Jesus is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what happens? You begin to see crystal clear a portrait of the Son of God some things become very crystallized. First of all, you, you come to understand his mindset. What was the mindset of Jesus? You remember in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus stayed behind in the city of Jerusalem, his parents had gone there for the feast, and they left thinking him to be in their company. And the Bible tells us he was still in Jerusalem talking to the leaders of that day. And so when his mother and father found him, his mother, of course, perplexed about all that was going on. And Jesus made an interesting statement on that occasion. He said, I must be about my father's business. Please listen very carefully. When we have spent time with Jesus in his word, then we're going to be about our father's business. If we're not about our father's business, maybe it's because we haven't spent enough time with Jesus. Now we talk about the church and the growth of the first century church. Let me tell you why it was growing. Because here were people that had been with Jesus. They had been with him so much their lives had been impacted to the point they could not but help talk about the Lord. Now we talk about being about our Father's business and understanding our purpose here on earth. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, my work is to do the will of him who sent me. In John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus would say, that he came to do what? He came to do his father's will. He came to execute the redemptive plan on behalf of Almighty God. So we talk about his mindset, but also think about his mission. When Jesus came to earth, he had a mission. What was that mission? Listen to him in Luke 19.10, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was all about reaching out to the lost. It didn't matter who it was. He was talking to lost people. He was talking to people about their eternal soul. Now we talk about church growth and we want the church to grow today and we're grateful for the growth of the church. There are really three kinds of churches. There are living churches, 
There are dying churches and there are dead churches. You know why there, do you know why there are dying churches? Because people have not spent enough time with Jesus and they don't understand his mindset and they don't understand his mission. Do you know why there are dead churches? Because there are people that do not understand the mindset of Jesus and they don't understand the mission of Jesus. But when you talk about living churches, when you talk about churches that are growing and abounding and flourishing and doing what God would have them to do, do you know why that's the case? Because you have a whole lot of people that have spent a whole lot of time with Jesus. They have spent enough time with Jesus they know him. They know him intimately. He is a part of their life. He is the fabric of their life. And he ought to be the fabric of our lives. When, when you look at the early church and you begin to really delve in to why the church was growing as it did, I think one of the keys is here were two men, they had been with Jesus. Now, I understand you and I, we cannot verbally hear Jesus speak. We cannot visibly see Jesus here on planet Earth. But we can listen to him and we can see him through the pages of what we call the Bible. Wouldn't it be great if every congregation of God's people took to heart the mindset of Jesus? That it, what, wouldn't it be great if every member said, you know what, I need to be about my father's business. Wouldn't it be great if every member said, you know what, I need to be out seeking and saving the lost. There are a lot of people in this community. There are a lot of people in this state. There are a lot of people in the Mid-South area. You know what they need? They need the gospel. Now I want to ask you this question. How are they going to hear the gospel if you and I do not share it? We've got to take to heart the Great Commission. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what we have to do is take to heart the Great Commission. Now, we talk about the courage of these men in light of their conviction. Look, if you would, at verse 21. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. In verses 23 and following, you have two things that occur. We talk about their conviction and their courage. What, what these men did, they collectively got together with other members of the church. And you know what they did? They prayed. And let me tell you what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness. Look at verse 29. That they might speak God's word. Look at the society in which we live today. Look, look at our country. It doesn't take an Einstein to realize our world today, our country has changed dramatically. Things aren't like they were 25, 30, 40 50 years ago. It seems to me that just about everything is tolerable in our country today except Christianity and the Bible. So what does that say to us? It says first and foremost, we're gonna have to have some conviction. 
And then secondly, we're going to have to have some courage to stand up and speak out. If we do not speak out, who will? Maybe we need to pray for boldness. Maybe we like the disciples in the long ago. Maybe we need to pray that God would give us the boldness to declare his word. Not only did they pray, but they continued preaching the word. Drop down and look at verse 33. Well, look at verse 32. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they, all, but they had all things in common. Now look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What does that say to me? It says that what I need to do is be about my father's business. I need to be engaged in his work. I want to close by asking this question. What's your vision for the church in this community? What, what do you want to see the church here at Olive Branch become? If someone were to ask me, what would I like to see here at Olive Branch, here's what I would say. I'd like to see us grow spiritually. Because if we grow spiritually, you know what's going to happen? We're going to grow numerically. And so what we have to do as the people of God, we've got to continue feeding on the word. We've got to continue growing in grace and knowledge, as Peter would say in 2 Peter 3.18. If we do that, then we will develop a, a yearning to reach out to the lost, to do everything that we can to plant the word of God in honest and good hearts, and ultimately it will yield forth fruit. Isaiah said, speaking of God's word, it will not return to him void. I believe in the power of this book. I believe if we sow the seed of the kingdom, it's going to produce its intended effects. But just like a farmer can't expect a crop if he doesn't sow seed, we can't expect to reap a crop if we don't sow the seed of the kingdom. We've got to sow it. And the only way that I know that we can sow it is we've got to get back to spending more time with the Lord in his word. When we do that, we'll share the gospel and souls will be saved. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to plead with you, come to Christ. Believe that he is the son of God. Come to the realization that Jesus is the answer to life. Put your faith and trust in him, Hebrews 11, verse 6, and then be willing to repent, just like Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And then confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be baptized or immersed in a watery grave of baptism, Acts 2, verse 38. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And if you'll live faithfully, God will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? Maybe you have been disengaged from the work of the church. Could I encourage you to become engaged in the work of the church? Could we pray with you and for you? The Bible says God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, verse 9. Come as we stand and sing.